Tuesday morning to you, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon Podcast. Since it is Tuesday, this is an archive show, first published as a newspaper column and podcast episode several years ago. Thanks for downloading, and I sure hope you enjoy it. In the summer of 1874, the executives of Oregon's two big steamboat companies were watching Uriah B. Scott's progress on the riverboat he was building and laughing. They were probably also congratulating themselves on not having hired him when he'd come to them, newly arrived in Oregon, asking for a job and babbling on about shallow draft halls. They'd turned him down, of course, and now the poor naive fool was apparently planning to go into competition with them. What the other riverboat men were seeing wasn't exactly making them quake with fear. The scow Scott was building was an ugly little thing, like a shoebox with a smokestack sticking out of the top and a homemade stern wheel hanging off the back. It didn't look much like a boat either. Its hull was wide and flat, not steep and curvaceous like the hulls of other steamers on the river. The five men who had lent Scott three grand to build this mouse trap became objects of pity among the steamboat men of the two big firms, which were the Oregon Steam Navigation Company and the People's Transportation Company. The company men were confident that Scott's backers would never see their money again, and they weren't afraid to tell them so. Scott didn't mind. He knew that his boat, which he'd dubbed the Ohio, was ugly. He didn't have enough money to make it pretty. He'd lost almost everything in a bank panic the previous year, which was why he'd left the Midwest and come to Oregon in the first place. No, he hadn't built the Ohio for looks. They'd see what he was up to when he got it in the water. In the meantime, the other steamboat companies weren't losing any sleep over the upstart. The bigger of the two, Oregon Steamship and Navigation Company, was a bloated and arrogant monopoly that had achieved total dominion over the Columbia River by buying out everything in sight. Like many such firms, it took comfort in its bigness and didn't regard its inflated ticket prices and haphazard service as a serious problem. The People's Transportation Company, as its populist-sounding name suggests, was originally a scrappy upstart steamboat line created to challenge this monopoly and to tap into the frustration of the traveling public. But after a few successful years, it lost that competitive fire and made a cozy deal with OS&N, which basically gave each company a monopoly on one of the two rivers, Peoples on the Willamette and OS&N on the Columbia. With this arrangement in place, Peoples had settled in as a sort of junior monopoly, and both companies worked hard to avoid any kind of profit-killing competition on their routes. Thus, neither major steamboat company had much of an interest in improvements to service unless it wouldn't cost money to implement. After all, they already had all the business on the river. Building a new shallow draft boat, like Scott had suggested, would cost money without generating any new income. Why should they be interested? Willamette Valley farmers, however, were very interested. The People's Transportation Company steamboats couldn't get far enough up the river to pick up their crops until deep into the rainy season when the river levels are quite high. By that time, unless the grain was very carefully stored, the valley's famous fogs had often soaked it and opened the door for molds and mildew to ruin it. There was most definitely a market for the boats Scott was talking about, and Scott knew it. It was that market that the Ohio was designed to fill. 
Soon the Ohio's launch day arrived, and crowds of steamboat men came to look and laugh. Not only was the Ohio ugly, it had certain features that looked distinctly under-engineered. Scott, watching every dime, had used steel gas pipes for the steam engine's connecting rods or pitmans. And then there was that homemade paddle wheel. It was the kind of creation that, if duct tape had been around in the 1870s, would have been covered with the stuff and probably would have involved a blue tarp somewhere on the upper works. The boat, with its strange saucer-shallow hull, went into the water, and the floating steamboatmen watched. Confidently, they waited for it to fill and sink. It floated like a water skipper. Confidently, they predicted it would never make headway against the current. Scott rang for steam and left the dock. Soon he was out of sight. Confidently, they predicted he would never make it back. You have to wonder if the other steamboat men started having second thoughts at this point. Could it be that this ignoramus from back east actually knew what he was doing? If any of them harbored this secret question, they got an answer a week or so later. The Ohio had steamed 185 miles up the Willamette River to Eugene City, taken on 70 tons of wheat, and brought it back to Portland. Suddenly, nobody was laughing anymore. The secret of the Ohio's success was that wide, flat, ugly hull. It could float on nine inches of water when it was empty, and with 100 tons of wheat on board, 18 inches. There are stories of boys out wading in the river having to be shooed out of the way so the ugly little steamboat could get through. The other steamboat men considered their designs shallow draft, but they were water hogs compared with the Ohio. No other boat on the river could get within 40 miles of Eugene City, even empty to say nothing of getting back downstream with cargo. Scott's next boat was the City of Salem, which was a gorgeously appointed, elegant riverboat, as unlike the Ohio as a pheasant is, unlike a starling. Except, of course, for its draft, which was even shallower than the Ohio. Scott liked to claim it could run on a heavy dew. He demonstrated this by paying a call at Jefferson, well up the Saniam River where no steamer had ever gone, crossing easily through shallows that would stop many rowboats. Caught utterly flat-footed, the two steamboat companies that had until this moment enjoyed a total duopoly on the river scrambled for their lives. Of course, they got busy building their own shallow draft craft, but the only man in the state who really knew how to do that was now working for himself, so it took them a while to solve the engineering issues. Of course, they tried to buy Scott out. It must have been rather satisfying for Scott to have the same guys who'd blown him off when he asked for a job and laughed him off when he was building the Ohio, now coming to him with hats and hands. But the time for that sort of thing was long past. Scott was now in a position to raise all the capital he would ever need. A third steamboat company had been born, and the other guy's lunch was about to get eaten. This article was first published on October 21st of 2011 under the headline, They Laughed at Captain Scott's Ugly Little Steamboat at First. Key sources included works by E.W. Wright, Gordon Newell, and Kenneth S. Holm. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love. More info is at our hub page at offbeatoregon.com. Offbeat Oregon is a division of Pulp Lit Productions, a boutique publishing house about which more can be learned at pulp-lit.com. Speaking of which, if you enjoy listening to me, you might check out some of my audiobooks. You can find them most easily with a search for my name on audible.com. Most of them are old pulp stuff, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Rice Burroughs, etc., but at least two of them are Offbeat Oregon history-type stuff. Check them out if you're so inclined. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license. For details, see offbeatoregon.com slash cc. 
Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Questions, critiques, ideas for a future episode? Email me at fj at offbeatorgan.com. Episodes of Offbeat Organ History are uploaded around 6 a.m. every weekday, so the next one will be on your device and ready to go before you know it. Until then, go out and fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye now.